0: You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek.
1: Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey there, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. That's right, folks. We are back and we are here to look at the end. That's right we're actually looking at what happens after the end when we talk all about post-apocalyptic worlds and movies and TV and other media. And it's going to be a lot of fun to talk about it and see where it goes and just the excitement and, you know, what, you know, influences it and, what culture captures it, depending what generation you're in. It's going to be a lot of fun to do. And we got a great crew to talk all about it. And speaking of the end of the world, this man always looks at it like it's always the end. Let's welcome Mr. Mike Gordon.
2: Howdy. That's what I, that's how I face the end of the world. It was a big old howdy right in its face.
1: Oh, most definitely, and you just laugh at at the end. You just go, ha, I'm ready for you. Give it your best shot exactly i got my howdy i uh
2: you know i'm 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 down with Doctor Strangelove, oh of course,
1: well, you know they had a very interesting way of doing things in that movie, and you know I just don't want to see the guy riding the missile down. That's all. I'm going yeah <laughs> so <laughs> that could be just you know a little too surreal to see and everything And you know it's like no 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 but it's gonna be a lot of fun and we'd love to hear from you guys at home so please write us at earthstation1 at com. also a reminder please for past episodes always look at our new website earthstation1.com we got a lot of great stuff we're adding more old shows up there right now we're probably looking right now at december of 2018 already going back to and you know we gotta you know we're gonna try to go all the way back to 2010 so i've got a lot of work ahead of me so in other words but it'll be a lot of fun to do and we got you know, tons of stuff to talk about. A big shout out to our patrons, and thank you for supporting the ESO Network. You know, we definitely have exclusive stuff coming your way. Which we got a lot of great stuff headed for patrons. All you have to do to become a patron of the ESO Network is go to Patreon.com/slash ESO Network for as little as twenty-five cents a week. That's what we keep on saying. For a dollar a month, that's right, folks. You can help support. ESO. I don't think that's so bad. I think it's pretty awesome, actually. So, with that being said, let's just jump into our rants and raves, because we got a lot to talk about this week. Mr. Mike, there's been a lot of stuff happening at Disney.
2: Yes, and some say that it's a sign of the apocalypse uh, at Disney, Uh, but uh, I don't know if things are that grim, but uh, certainly um, it just came, you know, this is not breaking news, but uh, a week or so ago, it was uh, announced, and uh, a lot of people thought this was kind of sudden, and I will admit that I think the the timing of it is odd, but uh, it was announced that uh, Bob Iger was uh, going to step down as the CEO of uh, Walt Disney... Yeah, Walt Disney World Entertainment, right? Walt Disney Company. Um, now... Um, Just to clarify, uh, Bob uh, Iger has been wanting to retire from Disney for a while now. Yes. Um, So that was not a big surprise that he's been wanting to do this. But uh, Disney has, um, the board of directors and whatnot, has uh, had a difficult time finding a replacement for him. Uh, I think, um, yeah, they've talked to, there was a lot of people that over the last, I don't know, five years or so have been sort of mentioned. Uh, I know that uh, Reed Hastings, uh, the guy who owns uh, Netflix at the time, there was a potential merger between Disney and Netflix. And I think uh, it was, it was, it was regarded that Reed Hastings might be um, uh, the the new CEO of Disney. Uh, That didn't happen. In fact, uh, man, that really didn't happen. You want to talk about a relationship that really went, bad. Uh those two companies don't get along at all uh right now. So uh but the uh the person that they have uh named as the new chief executive officer of Disney is Bob Chapek. I think believe I'm pronouncing that right. Uh Bob was named the chairman of Walt Disney Parks and Resorts uh in twenty fifteen. He started like as um he worked in advertising for a while and he joined the Walt Disney company in nineteen ninety three. The thing is
1: Chapic's not as loved at all as Iger was. i you know, Chapik has been there's a lot of controversy around him.
2: Yeah, yes, and um and you know, kind of quite rightly so. Um I think uh look, Bob Iger came in at a time when Disney really needed uh a chairman with vision. Uh, they had just gone through the nightmare with Eisner and, uh, Iger had a lot of success at ABC, uh, Disney purchased ABC and Iger, uh, was still president there, but then like he also became president of Walt Disney international and then sort of, uh, moved in, um, uh, As soon as Michael Ovitz left, I think he kind of moved into that position, kind of worked a little bit with Eisner. But at that time, Eisner's time was uh, was limited um, as far as uh, his tenure there. Starting in 2006, uh, he uh, acquired Pixar um, or reacquired it. Re-acquired. Uh, he also uh, acquired reacquired the rights to Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, which was Walt, one of Walt Disney's first cartoon characters that he created.
1: Mm-hmm. He was Mickey before there was a Mickey.
2: Yep, absolutely. Uh, and that that was a that was not a like huge like financial move. That was a move that told people, especially fans of Disney, that this guy cares. Right. Mm-hmm. That was a great PR move for him. Uh, and then he acquired Marvel. Uh then he acquired Lucasfilm. Um and he uh last the last thing he did last year was before he left was acquired uh 20th Century Fox. Uh at least their assets anyway. And he's done a ton of stuff that he's opened parks all over the world, uh had great success. With, uh, you know, Shanghai Disney, as well as uh, some of the other parks that uh, have opened during his, his tenure as well. Um, I think last year, Disney had such a huge success in every single way you could think of that they're really, I think I said it at the time, there's no, where can they go from here? So I think Bob Iger said, right, I'm out. Like, like, he,
1: like, it's, it's everyone's wish, though, is to leave when you're on top. You know,
2: right? And, and Disney has never been, I think, as much on top as it is right now.
1: There's been stories talking about, you know, oh, the Star Wars lands aren't getting as many people as you know they Disney expected, and oh, it's been a huge flop. The whole Star Wars land in California and Florida, but it's not. It's not. These places are packed, folks. Trust me. You know, we just looked at getting reservations. For in the fall, and they said probably good luck. Good luck getting into Disney, you know, for that. part.
2: If you if you want to ride Rise of Resistance, good luck. Exactly.
1: Uh, I've heard it's been as long lines as long as ten hours.
2: Yeah, I've heard that as well. Yeah, I've heard that as well. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, yeah. Now, Bob's a financial. Bob Chapek, the new guy, is a financial guy he's he's a numbers guy from what i understand um and so i think uh, you know i you know if you watch that uh, great series on disney plus another product that bob Iger gave us um but if you watch that great series imagineers uh the imagineers story uh you'll you'll notice that whenever there's a change the imagineers kind of get a little nervous and i'm sure that with this uh, this changeover they 're kind of nervous um because, as you mentioned, Bob is not i don 't want to say i mean it 's not like he 's there 's controversy but it 's not like it 's oh my God, how could they do that kind of controversy um it, as far as I know he 's not a a jerk, although i don 't know him personally um he seems kind of bland actually <laughs> no, no. um but um uh, so it should be interesting. And we don't know. I mean, he's not, he's still going to, at least for the first year or so, report to the board of directors. And the chairman of the board of directors is still Bob Iger. Uh, he's not stepping down from that just yet. Uh, I think the word is, is that he's probably going to be there for about a year. And then he's just going to go off on his uh, uh, luxury yacht and 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 sail into the sunset. Um,
1: with Matt, with our Disney ears and, you know, stock <laughs> options. And he'll be very happy.
2: Oh, he'll be. Yeah. He doesn't have anything. He or his kin don't have any, anything to worry about for ever. Um, but, uh, and so it should be really, you know, what's going to happen is, is I don't know if Chapek the new guy has, has as much uh, charisma and vision that he's going to be, you know, he's going to be what Bob Iger was, which was the executive chairman. It was the board of uh, the, the president, the, and the leader, the chairman of the board of directors, like I, I and the CEO, I don't think like Bob Iger was all of those things. Um, and I don't think Bob Chapek is going to do that. Um, at least not right away. So there's still a kind of opening for someone to come in with vision to me. In my mind, and Bob Iger was kind of the best of both, but that's rare. I think you need somebody. Disney works best when there's somebody with vision like Walt, and there's somebody that kind of has to has to watch the person strings a little bit, like Roy. Right? Sure, that was of like the best. That was the best combination, and you know, you had that. Uh, you know, for all that that happened afterwards. You kinda had that with Iger at least uh for a while when um his number two guy, which I'm I'm blanking on his name now, it was uh, uh I believe it was it was Fred, right? Something uh man, help me out here. Um yeah. it was uh he died on uh yeah, he died and that's kind of when things went uh, off the railing. Really
0: oh very much uh, so.
2: because uh because Eisner was the vision guy, and then you kind of had this guy um that was there kind of kind of keeping him at bay a little bit, and uh when after that guy passed a, then it wasn't long before Eisner started getting just kind of wild, and no one could really stop him and uh it had took Roy E Disney to kind of usher in a, a a removal of him and then bring in uh Bob Iger. So um and that was a great decision. Um there are so many guys that uh you know may be up for the task at some point um you know, but who knows? In this day and age too where you have um or you have the Me Too movement, like you know, being a major factor. I mean, a lot. Of, I think a lot of people expected John Lasseter to kind of be in that position, but uh, sort of that ruined that. Uh, those his, his chances of, do, of of doing that. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what this oh, means. Oh, Frank!
1: It, it was Frank Wells. You thank
2: thinking. you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate that.
1: I knew it was right on the tip of your tongue. Of course. <laughs>
2: I was like, I know it was F something, Fred. Fred. Nah, Fred it wasn't Fred Flintstone, but anyway. Yeah, but um, do. In past year, in past decades, Disney was in a position where it was it was ran really poorly, and it was uh, it almost we hard, find it hard to believe that there was a couple times in its history that it almost got sold off, and we would not have had Disney at all, which seems almost impossible to believe now and now that it's so it's such a huge thing now it's such a huge company such a huge part of our pop culture it's kind of hard to believe that that could happen again but it can always happen again it depends on how it's run and uh you know bob's got a huge like this new bob's got a lot of uh uh, a lot of uh responsibility on his shoulders i i don't and in some ways i envy him because who wouldn't want to But on another hand, it's like, oh man, that's that's trouble.
1: Well, I'm sure it was a headache the whole time too, you know, just having to run something like that. You know, the the daily pressure. Yeah, you see all the success and everything, but there's a lot of wheels happening behind the scenes and everything too.
2: Oh, sure, sure, sure. And look, I don't pretend to be an expert. I mean, I've read a few things, I've seen some documentaries, and uh, and my memory is is you know has got. Like a lot, a lot of holes in it, like Swiss cheese. So, certainly, if there's people listening to this that are familiar with a lot of the politics that are at the Disney Company, I have probably butchered some things, and I do apologize for that. But, but the bottom line is, is that I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic, but I, I also am concerned because I, I don't get the feeling that uh, Chapek is is a guy with a lot of vision in in the in the mold that while Walt- the mold that you know early Michael Eisner was in the mold that even uh Bob Iger is. So I think I think he's a I don't want to say a band-aid, but I think he's a placeholder until they can until someone else comes around that is 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 willing to take Disney to the next century.
1: Any guesses who? No.
2: Some I mean, th- other than me?
1: Yeah, of course. <laughs>
2: I heard one or two uh,
1: people say Kevin Feige, but I don't see that.
2: I, well, you know, certainly, certainly Kevin Feige's name. You know, I mean, a lot of people uh, really appreciate what he's done. But Disney is more than just movies. Oh, of
1: course. You know, technically, Disney is owns half the world right now. So you know, you know, they own TV networks, they own publishing, they own cable they own resorts they own merchandise you know it's just it goes on and on and on and don't even get started on Disney real estate come on think about it
2: yeah I think um, you know I mean I think Kevin's shown uh, a lot of success with Marvel Um, it'll be interesting to see if he does take a more active role in Lucasfilm Kathleen Kennedy Mm -hmm. what what can be done there but I mean look he's there's still presidents and uh, chief creative officers of Walt Disney Studios that would be probably more in line with (laughs) with that as well as um, you know I mean running the parks is a huge deal is a huge part of Disney as well And you know you've got all these divisions. You've got the media networks, uh, tons and tons of uh, networks that Disney owns. Not least of which is their own streaming service. And you've got to you've got to wear a lot of hats, a lot of hats, to be able to oversee all of it. Um, And you've got to have vision. You've got to have vision, and uh, it's not going to be easy. I'm not saying Feige's not the guy but he's got a lot more to prove before i'm convinced that he's the guy i mean he's a cool name and he's had some some success with marvel movies but outside of that what's he done
1: hmm that's a good point but you know that is a very very good point hell i won't even get into the rumors about you know marvel looking to license dc com movies inside
2: that's just that's just bull
1: I know it is. You know that. I know it. And there's garbage websites out there that publishes that crap,
2: which is even funnier. (laughs) I think. I think if Kevin was, I mean, Kevin is the president, or what's it called? What's his actual role? Uh, Let me check here. It's the president, yes, of Marvel Studios and the chief creative officer of Marvel Entertainment, right? So, um, Marvel Entertainment. As a whole, if you take the movies out of it um, is is kind of sketchy. I mean, certainly they have merchandise and they have toys, but the publishing arm of Marvel, as far as I know, still doesn't make money, doesn't make a profit, so really I think if if you're gonna put a guy in charge of the whole thing, Disney. You want a guy that shows that his department, what he's overseeing, can can make some money. And uh, I don't. I think Marvel's sure their movies are doing really well and creating quite a splash, but
1: nothing else is.
2: Yeah, and and people are still think about it. People are still waiting to see what phase, like the next phase is. Now that Endgame is done, how does Marvel like as as the movie studio, how does Marvel Studios regroup from that and keep on going? Because a lot of people are thinking that, you know, that's not as sexy right now. So um, I I don't know. I'm Like I said, I have no ill will towards the man at all. I think Kevin Feige's done some amazing things and he's a great success story. Uh, but I wouldn't put him in the big chair just yet. I, I don't know who to, you know, these are, you know, it would be kind of nice if it you know i mean I, and i hate to say this just to like say it but i'm going to say it you know looking at the board of directors and the corporate officers and all that kind of stuff and looking at all the people that are in charge at disney um it's a lot of gen it's a lot of one gender and a lot of one race if you know what i mean
1: i agree i agree i
2: and uh and it would be kind of nice to see some uh you know uh some differences there now, the board of directors of Disney does actually have one two three four i think four women on it okay and that's that's almost half so that's that's pretty awesome actually um to be honest, I don't know enough about them to know what their um what their you know their race status is or whatever but um uh I do know that there's you know that there's there's some diversity there but not a lot i mean you know you go down the list and it's like i said it's it's pretty white and it's pretty male oriented so um you know i i, I would love to hopefully see somebody with uh, a more diverse vision um you know kind of kind of get a role there too Yep,
1: i could totally understand that I could see that happening a lot, and you know that's—I hate to say it—it's showing what's up with a lot of big businesses and corporations these days. Is if you look at the boards, they're not very diverse.
2: They, no, no, the the the—I the, mean that's yeah—the one percent is not very diverse. No, not at all,
1: and you know, and that's where you know. Things have to change, and I would love to see a female on the top of Disney. I think that would be awesome. Or, you know, I, th- I think it would be great. You know, I'm sure people are going like, no, no, no. But, you know, we'll see. I'm very curious to see what's going to happen.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm, st- I'm in no way advocating the fact that you just pop someone in there just because, you know, they're a Latino woman. Um, that's not what I'm saying at all. But, you know, there's, as we well know, there's more than just, you know, white dudes out there.
1: Right. No, there's tons. And if you're of them.
2: not going to give the job to me, then I don't know why you'd even look at another white dude.
1: <sighs> there you got your answer, folks there you have your answer
2: i mean i'm looking for work right i mean look i mean come on disney dc i'm right here i'm right here people
1: don't ignore that man you do not ignore him i'm on
2: linkedin i'm on linkedin come on
1: yeah he looks good in mickey ears he really does
2: (laughs) covers up my bald spot
1: see there you go
2: well dude that uh, Bob's bag is it's, it's quite he's even uh, bolder than I am so
1: that he is my friend that he is and with that being said let's take a quick break and we'll be back in a moment and we are going to be t- looking all about post-apocalyptic world with Mike Gordon in charge of Disney so there we go we'll see you in a sec
3: Hi, this is Ashley Pauls with this week's Box Office Buzz. We are officially into spring movie season. I feel like it's safe to say that now. Of course, it feels like we were just talking about the lineup of holiday movies. The time goes by so fast. But it is nice because there's more movies for us to talk about. Better quality movies more frequently. And before we know it, it'll be time for summer movie season. But first up, this week we have a new Disney Pixar animated movie called Onward, and it's about fantasy characters living in the suburbs. So sort of imagine if you took all the creatures and characters from your Dungeons and Dragons book and then dumped them out in the suburbs, and what would life be like for them? It's about a pair of elf brothers who go on a magical quest, and includes the voice talents of Chris Pratt, Octavia Spencer, and Tom Holland. Disney Pixar is usually a pretty safe bet, but for whatever reason, the trailers for this one didn't grab me as much as some of their past movies. Not necessarily sure why. Um, It looks like it's getting decent reviews, but maybe is not Pixar's best, but still entertaining. So we'll see how it goes. I'm thinking this one might be worth just waiting till Disney Plus, but since I do have the AMC movie pass, I might go see it just for the fun of it. Also, on a more serious note, we have a drama starring Ben Affleck called The Way Back. It's about a high school basketball prodigy whose career just didn't pan out. And now he's seen as a guy who's washed up. He's dealt with tragedy. He's struggling with alcoholism. And he's invited to go back to coach at his alma mater. Now, on the one hand, it may seem like, yes, we've seen plenty of Hollywood sports stories. But I'm really intrigued by this idea. If it's a more intimate character story, that's kind of told amidst the backdrop of this sports story. So, I am actually kind of curious to check this one out. The trailer looked interesting. And i um, looking forward to see more about what critics say about this one. On DVD this week... We have a couple new movies coming out. One is Queen and Slim about a couple on the run. And this deals with racial racial tensions racial profiling. This is another one where the trailer looked really intriguing and I would like to watch this one eventually. We also have Dark Waters about a community whose air and water is being polluted by a chemical company. And that's it for this week. If you're looking for more entertainment related content, be sure to check out my blogs on the ESO podcast website. Right now I'm working on a Western blog series where I go back and watch a bunch of classic and newer Westerns as well that I haven't seen before. The most recent one I covered was Hell or High Water. Really loved that one and am looking forward to continuing on with the series and hopefully discovering some great new films.
0: Hey
4: geekazoids! the Metal Geeks podcast is your source for all things geeky from the perspective
5: of a couple of metalheads.
6: And me, George. That's right, and George.
4: This is Carrie the Metal Geek along with... Brutal Dave. And George Tripsis. Join us as we wax philosophical about our favorite subjects.
7: Yeah, like what? Movies. And TV
6: shows. Video games. Comics. Theme parks. And heavy metal.
4: Join us on each episode as we discuss special topics...
6: George hates metal.
2: And find out what's tickling our little geeks.
5: And much more. Come listen to us as we audibly age in your ear holes. You can find us on the
4: social medias at Metal Geeks and visit us on our website at MetalGeeksPodcast.com. Keep it metal. Keep it geeky.
2: And me, George.
1: It's the end of the world as we know it. I feel fine. That's great. It starts with an
0: earthquake. Birds, snakes, and airplanes. Yeah, Lenny Bruce's.
1: Hey everyone, welcome back to Earth Station One. Now it's time for the main topic, Mike. It's the end of the world as we know it. Run, hide! Ah!
2: I I feel fine. I feel fine. Uh, that's, I think I think uh, it's just like that um, uh, that meme uh, cartoon with the dog and everything is burning and then around the room and he just says, "I'm fine." Uh, everything is burning all around us, and yes, how can we not? uh talk about uh, apocalyptic, all things apocalyptic, stories, movies, what have you. Um, and uh, joining us to talk about the end of it all, uh, we do have uh, a couple guys returning to us. Uh, Eric, what's Eric. Hello. Did I say that right? Yeah. I did
7: say that right. You right? actually got the last name right. Yes. Thank you very oh, much right. for having me again.
2: <laughs> then you
7: know it's the end of the world. Oh, I've <laughs> gone through a number of apocaly. Our po- <laughs> uh, it seems like always have a good day on, on the day the world's supposed to end.
2: Yeah, well, okay, that's good to know. It's Monday as we're recording this, and that usually is uh, a day where if the day, if the world's going to end, it's usually, it's probably going to be on a Monday. Uh, That'd be nice. Uh, and we also <laughs> have, we also have with us, straight from the Council of Mikes, we have Michael Bailey with us. Hello. Howdy, sir. How yeah. How are you on this fine day?
6: Ah, uh, well, you know, we have viruses and all that kind of stuff. So I'm getting the feeling this, this podcast has got the now feeling. <laughs> well,
2: it, it, it's interesting you say that because in a lot of ways you are, you were an inspiration for us coming up with this topic. Uh, oh, because okay. I believe you recently
6: viewed uh, the day after, correct? Yeah. Yes. I, I, I subjected myself to that once again.
2: Yeah, that, um... Uh, I want to talk about that, and that's that's a great place to start because the day after was uh, uh, very much of a, a huge deal um, when it was released
6: on television. Two night event? Is no, it was it was a great? single night. Really? Uh, yeah, and 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 you would think that it would be stretched over, but in in, in reading about the the production of the day after it's kind of fascinating because <laughs> like, nobody's gonna come back, right? Like, That's no, exactly no, no. it. <laughs> no, seriously, that was it. ABC, I believe it was ABC, yeah, because it was Nightline uh with Ted Coppel that had a thing right after with a, a, a round table of people discussing the movie and the <clears throat> socio-political nature of nuclear war at the time. But there is on YouTube a three hour cut of the film. It's a rough cut. And they are like, no, we're doing this in one night, and that's all we're doing. And uh, <laughs> yeah, because no one's gonna come back for that. So it, it, it. You would think that it would be a two-night event, but no, it was only one.
2: Well, uh, it it felt like to it was such a big event. Uh, I don't think seriously any movie, TV movie, what have you, anything that was out to the public had really seriously. Uh, Tackled nuclear war, which that cloud, if you'll uh, pardon the pun, was over us all in the eighties uh, growing up. Um, and uh, the day after at least attempted to treat it very seriously um, as far as what may happen. Um, and uh, as opposed to a movie that I recently rewatched, which was red dawn, which <laughs> at, the t- at, at the time we thought that was plausible too. <laughs> Um, but, um, I have not seen the day after since it aired originally. So, uh, for those of us, uh, that have not seen it in ages, is it something that holds up? Is it something worth watching? Is it just a product of its time? What was, what's the final verdict on that one? you,
6: The reason why it holds up is because the director, Nicholas Meyer, and I guess they're oh, like, right. Hey, you know, Spock died of radiation poisoning. This guy knows something about the subject. Uh, God, right. But uh he did not want to treat it like a disaster movie, which you could very easily do at the time. Oh sure. He wanted to show in and even at the end, they're like, guys, this is this is like the best case scenario for uh for a full exchange of weapons between us. Uh it would probably be much worse than this. But they they take the time to kind of introduce you to several families and characters that you'll be following through their horrendous death. And because of that, and because there is no happy ending, it's not like the government shows up at the end and takes everybody away and they're fine. You basically watch people slowly die. And because of that, it's incredibly depressing. But also because of that, I think it makes it kind of universal. I mean, you know, the stars of the time were in it. So, you know, this was a time where Steve Gutenberg was a get uh, and that's just not the case really anymore. I mean, and it it had like this all-star cast, but because they're mostly recognizable everyman people like John Lithgow and Jason Robards, I think
1: it. I remember Jason Robards in that yeah, a lot. I, I, th-
6: I think it gives it this kind of authenticity that lets you watch it and not feel like you're watching, as as I said, a disaster film.
2: Eric, do you remember uh, this movie
7: at all? Oh, I do. Um, I remember everybody uh, getting all worked up about it. They were more worked about, up about the movie, it seemed, than the fact that uh, we might actually have a few bombs dropping <laughs> at any point in that time. Um, yeah, I was, uh, let's see, I came out 83 or 84? Um, 83. 83, so yeah, I was, uh, I would have been 11. and. Uh, yeah. yeah, one Can thing I, I remember you know, yeah. uh, a lot back then was because of all the fears of it. I remember having constant dreams about nuclear war back at the time because that was – I I actually was an 11-year-old who watched the news and kept up with politics and everything. So I it – did it did affect how I thought because I thought that this was going to happen. So, of course, I sat and watched the day after when it was on TV. And, uh, wow. And then I watched it again a few years ago and I was surprised about how well it does hold up, especially as a TV movie.
2: Yeah. I'd forgotten that, uh, Nicholas Meyer was behind that, which of course does add some, you know, as far as geek cred goes, I mean, yeah, he doesn't, he's one, he's responsible for one of our favorite movies of all time. Um, as well as a couple of other really good things. So, um, Like I said, I haven't seen it since it aired. Um, I do remember that movie uh, or that TV movie. And then there was a movie actually that was released in theaters around that time called Testament.
6: Yes.
2: That was also um, about, you know, um, uh, a, a suburban town that is uh feeling the after effects of a nuclear
6: uh explosion nuclear war right yeah and i think that had uh what was that what is that guy's name he was in every 80s movie ever <laughs> i i i don't i i want to say oh that trevane, guy but it's not trevane god what is You're talking
2: it? about william devane
6: yeah william, devane. W- william yeah, he's, devane he's one of the main characters in the film so yeah. uh that, that you had Testament you had uh, HBO did a movie called Countdown to Looking Glass which uh, is interesting it was a Canadian production and the only people I recognize in it are Scott Glenn plays a reporter hmm. and one of the other reporters or one of the other uh, people that worked like in the White House uh, is the guy that was in like Tanner 88. Which was a, a mini series on HBO that I remember watching because well there wasn't much going on in the summer of nineteen eighty eight for me apparently. But it it shows how a conflict in the Gulf leads to nuclear war between the Russians and the Americans. And looking glass was the designation of the plane that the, would be serve as kind of the command center of the allied forces. And so the countdown was to when that launched and it happens right at the end of the movie.
2: Wow. I'm not familiar with that one at all. Um, I mean, it was, it was pervasive and I can, I, I do remember that atmosphere where um I had nightmares as well. Mm. Um, I guess it's sort of why, like nowadays when people are you know sort of uh uh shouting the end is nigh and all that sort of thing i'm kind of like i've been kind of dealing with this for 40 years right. like I, I actually I actually I, you know i was born i was true. born in 68 you know so it's like that was you know i mean the cold war was happening then bay of pigs and all that so i mean i think it's been my whole life that it's been sort of this thing that um uh i've just sort of kind of dealt with um but yeah, back in the eighties there was that point where um you would see movies done like day after, uh Testament. Um and then, you know, um things like like Red Dawn, like I, I mentioned it. It's kind of a joke now to think about it, but when it came out, it was like, oh wow, this could really happen. Or or War Games uh was something that was like, Oh yeah, that's kind of funny. Um good thing Dabney Coleman's in it, otherwise I'd be frightened. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um and that was in the 80s. Uh obviously there are movies that, you know, depict nuclear or atomic uh or blasts before then. Um yeah. I think the you know having um Doctor Strange Love and and, Sail, and Fail Save come out the same year um was kind of <laughs> eerie. Um I think those are both sort of the same kind of thing, right? Where this could happen.
1: Well, you also had the Twilight Zone episode with Burgess Meredith. Yeah. Yeah. If you're, you know when he was the work, he was the guy who didn't want people around, and he ended up being the last person alive. And then his glasses broke because all he wanted to do was read yeah. the poor guy. Also, well,
7: in the early 90s, we even had a comedy, uh, post post apocalyptic comedy on Fox for about one season where some guy survived because he was in his Volvo and then met up with a bunch that of other the, survivors.
2: Man on or, is that what that was called? Is that, is that one?
1: No, that was later. That was much later. Okay. Yeah. Last Man on Earth was just the last couple of years.
7: Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, But uh, one, one that I know that we're, that uh, hasn't been mentioned yet. And this is one that I do see every now and then just because uh, it's actually a really good movie that I'd like to rewatch is Threads.
2: Oh yeah. Very much. Tell me about
7: that one. What's that one?
6: Um, it's like the day after, except British and therefore more terrifying.
7: <laughs> yeah, more realistic, more a, lot, a lot more realistic. It actually shows. Um, it actually shows. It, it doesn't show the nuclear explosions or anything. Basically, shows all of a sudden everything just goes to hell, and uh, it shows uh, people. It shows the aftermath of it with everything burning, people on fire, and everything goes through the nuclear winter, uh, the collapse of government. Um, government, uh, the, the, uh, martial law afterwards, and then goes on a number of years into where people are experiencing infertility and population is back down to medieval levels and barely starting oh, to get, sounds... yeah, barely starting to get society back together after about 20 or 30 years. Oof. That sounds that sounds yeah. pretty rough, actually. It is it is a brutal watch, but it is actually worth watching even now because it is one of the few nuclear war movies that actually didn't try to pull any punches. Day after Hatchet, mm-hmm. because of network standards, but um, yeah, BBC, BBC wasn't worried didn't... about that. <laughs> no, <laughs> we Not set the all. standard.
1: That also led into you know other series. You know what was it ten years ago? They had uh, Jericho on CBS, which was a total. You know what happens? The very first episode, terrorists. They well, did they ever really say on the show what who caused the explosions, bombed most major American cities? But this dealt with Jericho, Kansas, which was just west of Denver, and you know they Denver was hit by a nuclear bomb, and they had to deal with the fallout and everything. From it. it was actually pretty it awesome. It seems
2: to me that you've got, you know, different, definitely different styles, different kinds, right. Of, of either apocalyptic, um, like almost a apop- apocalyptic, like we're on the brink of like, we're going to get destroyed by a meteor, but no, we send guys into space and they carve it up for us. Um, or,
1: uh, you had to have a really good Aerosmith song. Exactly. Of
2: course. Of course right. <laughs> um, and Morgan Freeman's president and all of them, um, and, uh, you've got, so you've got ones that are on the brink. You've got the ones that are kind of like Irwin Allen or Emmerich and Dean or Michael Bay kind of like things, right. That are just like, uh, like the day after tomorrow, like the weather will you know, chase you and kill you. Um, uh, <laughs> you've got the, the sort of, you know, the Japanese, uh, kaiju movies, right. It's, that definitely are inspired by uh, that kind of thing. Um, and then you've got sort of post-apocalyptic ones, which are afterwards, whether it's uh, uh, whether it's from uh, like the whole zombie genre, which I don't want to spend too much time on at all, really. Um, or um,
1: we've done Walking Dead episodes before,
2: exactly. <laughs> I mean, there's like, yeah, the zombie stuff is, yeah. Um, uh, and this could happen. I mean, obviously, we we started off by talking about nuclear war, but you know, I think just as prevalent, especially right now is the fact that a
6: disease could like take us all out. Right. Yeah. You have the movies like outbreak and, uh, and, and, contagion Contagion and stuff like that. (laughs) Excuse me. That we're, we're running against the clock. And the only people that can save us are the, uh, the scientists because they're the ones that are going to figure this out. And I, I think you know, with with all of these movies, you're dealing with, I think, kind of a subconscious uh, fear of society crumbling in general. I think this is why the zombie genre exploded about, you know, 15 or so years ago. Because we right. kind of had, not really, but we kind of had the nuclear thing somewhat under control. I mean, it wasn't, I remember in 1991 when, the Soviet Union fell. I breathe, 15 year old Mike breathed a sigh of relief for the first time in his entire life. Because I was like, okay, I'm pretty sure at this point that we're all not going to die in a nuclear fireball. But that apprehension is still there. So I think it, it, that apprehension of society completely, I mean, 1999, we had the Y2K scare. You know, are all computers going to shut down and are all the missiles going to launch and is society going to completely break down? And you had movies like The Trigger Effect with Kyle MacLachlan that kind of dealt with society crumbling around us. And I think zombie films and these contagion films are, 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 a, are an outgrowth of that.
1: Oh, very much so. And I thought they did pretty awesome with like 28 Days mm-hmm. Later. And, you know, how they handled that more than, say, The Walking Dead type things. And you even had them make fun of it in Shaun of the Dead.
6: Yeah. And 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 I think that's that's where you're sitting. That's an interesting mix of genres because it is comedy and it is horror. It's satire, but it's the great kind of satire because they, they're doing an effective version of what they're satiring mm-hmm. or satirizing How do you say that?
7: Satirizing. Mm-hmm. So satirizing thank yes. you
6: i i suddenly could not speak english so i'm ready to run for president um <laughs> that yeah
7: but
1: i'm
6: but no but I, but i think that it's like Shaun of the dead is the <laughs> this could happen right guys <laughs> this is totally funny right oh my god this is terrifying
2: and, and 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 and
1: we'll be we'll be fine if we yeah, go to I the Winchester. Say, I'm, I'm, I'm headed to the all. pub,
2: right? <laughs> you know, strange thing is about you Shaun of to... the
7: Dead is that it was one of the few zombie ones that actually had more of a realistic ending of how things would turn out. Mm-hmm. Because there's not any way that we would really lose against a zombie horde because they would either decay or we just get, we just kill them all. Um, but yeah, they start using them for the service industry. sure
1: yeah but if you go further a little further back if you think about it look at um Mm -hmm. the omega man back in 1971 which is based off i am legend and that you know that was that was a virus as well exactly that was a whole virus thing based off of trying to cure cancer and it turned out to you know take over it turned the people into kind of quasi
7: vampires yeah i think in the book it was some sort of virus that was in some radioactive dust or something but richard matheson was never really wanting to give too much of a scientific explanation for anything that happened
2: i think one of the reasons that now uh the the nuclear uh scare is not more prevalent in movies and such is because I think we all pretty much just agree. Like, yeah, nobody's coming out of that. Right. Yeah. So there's yeah. not going to be like, I mean, back then you could kind of guess like, Oh, you know, if you, you know, go, uh, put your head underneath a desk, you're going to be fine. Right. But, but, um, no, I mean, we're all pretty much like, no, that's, that's not anything that anybody wants to see afterwards. Um, there's no, no but if there. you
1: think about it, Mikey, we were probably one of the last generations that did the duck and cover under the desks. like' well, you I. Up. Well,
2: I, I think even I don't think that was really a feasible like thing when we when <laughs> I don't think in our school they were like yeah that's yeah that's not gonna.
1: Oh yeah, no, they had us go you know do the whole thing, go out into the halls, put your legs, your head between your legs, pretty Kiss much, your ass and just sit there. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much <laughs> that's pretty much what it but, was you know but our but if you remember our schools also had the signs you know nuclear sh- you know shelters and yes, stuff.
2: yes those are still i don't even know if those are still around but i would imagine that yeah they haven't gone anywhere i don't know if i don't know where the the nearest bunker is to me uh right now uh, as we are speaking so that's uh that i might have to check that out um mm-hmm. i but i do think it's interesting so like you know in in 68 when they you know we talked about uh Twilight Zone for a second Rod Serling makes uh Planet of the Apes and spoiler uh, everybody um that the uh that it's you know they blew it up you know the the last line is they blew it up i can't believe they blew it up so that's what happens after sort of an atomic nuclear whatever you want to call it like a um a, you know they blow up the earth but in the remake uh, this recent remake run that they've done of Planet of the Apes—it's a virus. It's not. An, it's not a bomb that goes off and destroys the earth. It's. It's. It's all a virus. That's how. That's what gets us. And is that, you know, is that a result of you know um, it, we're not af- as afraid of of nuclear wars we once were. We're more afraid of of you know. I mean, I don't know. I can't say it was a reaction to AIDS because. Everything else. I can't say it was a reaction to AIDS (laughs) because AIDS, you know, was in the late '80s as well. So that that was a a huge scare.
1: Well, out of that whole era, you know, if you think about it, from the late '70s, you also got Stephen King's *The Stand* Mm -hmm. coming out of it, and that's completely all disease-based. Captain Trips, and you know, and it's basically. People, the whole, probably a good 80% of humanity was wiped out by this disease. And then the survivors of that, you know, were split into two camps. And, you know, you had the people following Mother Abigail or Randall Flagg. And, you know, it was good versus evil, it turned out to be. And, you know, actually, you know, they had the miniseries on ABC back in the early 90s, I think it was. And then they're going to have on CBS All Access in December a new version of it coming out. So, and it's one of my favorite Stephen King books. And if you ever read the book, you, the un- Underbridge version is definitely the way to go.
6: I, I think also that, and uh, in, in, in fact, when we were when we were talking about this, uh, Mike Mike Gordon, as opposed to you know the other Mike. At, at that party you know i i mentioned that i work with a lot of people who are like 25 and under mm-hmm. and back when one of the you know kind of breakdowns in relations between us and north korea was happening and and the the possibility of being launched on became a reality again for you know for a very brief period of time, I was talking with some of the, some of the, I don't want to call them kids. Cause that's insulting, but I was talking with some of them and one of them just piped up. Well, if that ever happens, my uncle just get us all in the pickup truck and we'll go live in the woods. And I'm like, do you not understand how this works? <laughs> there are no woods. <laughs> <laughs> no. And, Those, the woods and, are gone. And, and, dude. And she's like, no. And I'm like, wait a second. And I like got all of them around. I'm like, how many of you have ever been afraid of nuclear war? And none of them had been. Now, this is a completely unscientific poll. But I, I think if you ask people like, you know, the, the, the younger people of today, they are far more uh, scared of things like terrorism and localized attacks and school shootings and, you know, now, you know, pandemics than they, were, than they ever will be of nuclear war. Uh, and I, on one on one hand, I'm like, that's good. On the other hand is, no, you should have been terrified like I was. You know? <laughs> well, like there's a
7: jealousy there. That's a
1: really good <laughs> I point. I think
7: a big difference is that when it came to us being terrified about nuclear war in the Cold War, it was something that we absolutely had no control over whatsoever. Mm-hmm. If uh, they decided – if everybody decided, okay, we were going to go at it, well, you and I had no say in the matter other than try to avoid dying. And uh
1: Well if but also if you think about it to kids these days who are gonna be graduating high school and such, nine eleven is is history. Yeah. But they're yeah. kind
7: of told that they can control all of this, even if they can't. They're told that they're in control of all this and so they don't have that same kind of well, uh detach they they don't have that same kind of detachment. So I can understand their fears. But the viruses and everything, if you notice a trend though, with the viruses, all these viruses, I don't remember if Captain Trips was, but all the viruses in most of the movies are something that was man made. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was trying to remember. I think it was because I believe it was.
1: Yeah. Yeah, because it was the one guy who it killed everybody in the lab and one guy made it out and he was patient x basically and right. it just went they're from all there.
7: man-made and they're all it's usually um the government fiddling around with stuff so i think that reflects more um because back when back in the cold war we were told to trust the government the government's going to be there for you the government's going to protect you i think this the way that and also the way that the zombie genre kind of took off because unlike the romero stuff it's always the government did it um And so I think it's more, you're seeing more of a distrust of our government and a distrust in authority figures than you have in the past. And that's, I think that is more indicative of why we are not as worried about, say, something like a war as we are just somebody not being competent enough to keep a virus locked up.
2: It's such a it's such a different dynamic. I mean, when we were growing up, you had two superpowers. I mean, uh, now people are like, Oh, you mean Marvel and DC? No, no, this is like, I mean, this is, uh, you know, it, it, these were United States and, and Russia were, you know, basically, uh, the world. I mean, there was China, uh, sure. And there was, uh, you know, other countries as well, but really the two, the two superpowers that were not button heads and you know it was one of those things where you know when one says to the other we will bear you um and you know the like they're just talking back and forth and you're like oh no this is gonna you know these two tribes are gonna go to war um uh frankie says relax
1: many songs uh,
2: <laughs> about <that. laughs> yeah, exactly frankie mm-hmm. frankie says relax um and mm-hmm. uh um, but it was like, yeah, I mean, it was it was in the music, it was everywhere, I mean, it, yeah, I mean, you grew up, and I think we lived in a, a place where we yeah, we we lived in the uh, after Watergate scenario, so we didn't exactly trust the government, but yet we were still USA USA u s a uh over you know Russia, uh, but then when Russia fell apart, as as Michael Bailey pointed out, then we sort of were like, well, phew dodged a missile there. <laughs> and then, and then I think 9-11 happens and we're like, oh crap. <laughs> like, like any, any, any bozo can, can have uh nuclear arms now. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's, that's, that's a scarier thought, but it's sort of less defined and it's harder to, it's harder to realize that fear, I think. Um, and I think that they've, certainly had a difficult time uh, with stories telling those about it. Like most of the post-apocalyptic stories that I remember coming out, especially comics in the late nineties, uh, early two thousands, were things like Jeremiah wasteland where it would be set like 50, 60 years, uh, maybe even a hundred years in the future. And it would be a big mystery as to what happened. Uh, they didn't really want to, Nail down exactly what it was that caused uh, the world to change dramatically, but um, there was always, you know, uh, you know, one of those things like, how do you like, you know, solve the mystery as to what exactly happened? Because I think, I think, at the time, writers were kind of not sure. They wanted to tell post-apocalyptic stories, but they didn't. They weren't really sure how we were going to get there.
1: Hmm. Well, you then, you know, you had. Like um Book of Eli. Right. And you you also then of course gotta mention Mad Max and the Road Warriors. Mm-hmm. Right. And you and know, that that was major. the other one,
7: The Road? The Road, yeah.
1: The ro- Oh, the Road is so sad. Oh that is that's no uh I read the book first. Judy said you're not gonna have a dry eye in this book. <laughs> and she was right she literally and it it's so sad it's because it's the father trying to keep his son you know away from the horror that the world has become and it's just it's just awful well,
6: speaking of and, and then there are the move there's a, a franchise that's built on the premise of you know we got to prevent this from happening and that's the terminator films right good call. cause every time those every time there's a new uh, sequel to that, it's, well, we're just kicking this can down the road. <laughs> right? And that's sure. why I liked the third one so much. Cause it's like, finally, if we're not going to be able to avoid this y'all, it's going to happen. So let's just make it happen in uh, just now in the, in the, in the 21st century, instead of it happening in 1991 or 1987, wasn't the original one like 19 no 1987 was buck rogers i apologize yeah
7: 1984 Uh, 85 i think is when the first terminator came out yeah
6: well but i was trying to remember in the movie when they said the war actually started i
1: think it was supposed to be 87 originally
6: yeah something like that and then in 91 it was bumped down the road and you had that was the reason why t2 freaked me out so much is because they had in film for the first time in what seemed like forever what a nuclear explosion would do to a major metropolitan area, and what it would do to a human body.
1: Oh God, yes.
6: And it, it. it I remember sitting there in the theater. You know, not supposed to be there because it was an R-rated film, and I was fifteen. But you know, they didn't care. Mom's the so,
1: word. We won't tell them yet.
6: Yeah. <laughs> but then when you get to the third one, which I think is objectively terrible most of the way. When it got to that ending I'm like, wow, they actually did it. I'm I'm kind of impressed with this at this point, even though the And then they the, previous two I was going to say then, then they dial it back
2: it. like, you know. So now it's not even I don't even know what it is now. So I kind of tapped
6: out after the third one, I think. Um Well, I think the next one actually showed like the war going on with Christian Bale yeah. as John Connor. Yes. So and then you know him yelling that he's done with people professionally. Yeah.
2: <laughs> that was pre that was during his whole Batman run, right? <laughs> yes, I getting, believe it was. Too two into character, I think. Um, uh, the um man, I just lost my train of thought. I was like, yeah, that's a really good one and and here you you're mentioning the Terminator movies and I'm like, well, okay, that's pretty solid cuz Man, I was the I was like the one that came to mind when after I was listening to favorite talk was Waterworld, and I'm like, oh, let's back off from that because that's that.
1: yeah, don't go there, <laughs> don't go there.
2: You no. want to talk about you want to talk about a sad movie with not a dry eye in the house? Uh, that is Waterworld. Um, um you mean after yeah, you realized I mean, I think, you paid to
7: see it? That's <laughs>
2: exactly right. Right. Um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um,
1: well, even. Oh, even like movies like if you had, you know, Judge Dredd Mm -hmm. or later Dredd, um, you had a pretty, you know, post-apocalyptic world where the whole United States in the center was called Wastelands because of nuclear wars. And all this, the East, the complete East Coast was one big city called Mega City One. And then the whole West Coast was another city, Mega City Two. And, you know, basically... Dredd is the police department. Uh, They're the judges and they don't, they don't have lawyers. They don't, the police basically are the law, hence I am the law, you know, that type of thing. So, and you know, you had things like that, but you also had demolition man, which was the same theme too. Very roughly, but I think judge Dredd caught caught it better. And especially when uh, the Carl Urban one was uh, Dread, yeah. which was amazing. Uh,
6: I think Judge Dread gets it better because the uh, pop culture in the UK is bleaker, mainly because the war came yeah. to them. Yes, so everything that kind of comes out of World War Two, like if you read their war comics, they're not heroic at all. No, and you know when you look at their like you know we were talking about Threads earlier. The reason why Threads was bleaker is because they had firsthand knowledge of what it's like to have one of your major cities decimated by the enemy. So I think that really puts in the culture a different thing. This is why 9-11 scared the United States so much is because while there had been, you know, like domestic terrorism, like, uh, like Oklahoma city and all that, you never had a, a foreign power of some kind, whether it's a terrorist organization or just another country, kill 3,000 people in one shot so I I think that's why we all, and if you look at the culture as well that came out of that it's so scared but the UK it's all like, no, it's just all going to go to hell and uh, (laughs) there's just going to be, you know, people who are stronger than other people that are going to keep it together and I I just like that it's so British (laughs)
1: Exactly, and that's the. If you ever get a chance, read the comics because they go into the wastelands. They go into, they they explore the whole planet, and you know society is coming apart at the edges, and it's the judges that are keeping it together.
7: Mm-hmm. And Dred's what in the uh, comic now? He's he's in his seventies or eighties, because they actually did <laughs> did age him in the comic. I know that. So
2: oh, do they do they age him? Yeah,
7: I haven't uh, kept up with it so.
2: Um I do find it interesting that uh that you know I know that um look I'm a big fan of Star Trek and uh I've always found it interesting that on the one hand everybody praises Star Trek because of a what a hopeful future that it gives us but they they sort of forget to mention that even in Star Trek history they had to go through a nuclear war to, in order to get there. Like, yeah. I mean, there was definitely a very, very, very dark time before the dawn. Um, it's That's where Khan came from. Exactly. Um, and so that's, um, they don't really harp on it as much. And now it's hard to tell because I think Star Trek itself is so dark that, yeah, I, I, it's not really... Yeah, I think that's that's one of the things that I I sort of um, I must admit I kind of get a little tired of uh, the excuse of changing or presenting now a lot of science fiction like Battlestar Galactica or Star Trek as as darker now and the they seems that when you when the when you hear the creators talk they're like well that's what we need to do in a post nine eleven world. That's what we. That's how it has to work. And I'm like, I'm like, I don't like the stuff that came out. The science fiction that came out in the '60s and '50s, or whatever, was after World War II. Like I was like, like <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that's
6: that was pretty. Things were pretty grim then. Um, so, I mean, what were the what were the two main themes of Twilight Zone? <laughs> Uh, be a better person and don't marry that woman because she's wrong for you. Those are the two, <laughs> like absolute, like like if you watch the Twilight Zone, which I do every New Year's Eve, Me New too. Year's Day, you know, it's just it's just like you know, you know, just you know, be a good person. Don't hate the person. You know, the aliens are actually using ourselves, you know, to 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 turn against each other so that it'll be easier to conquer us. And man, that woman just is wrong for you. You, you just need to be with somebody else.
7: That and technology is going to kill us all. Yeah. i well, sort of been, yeah.
6: yeah that, that well, that's been yeah. a scientific science fiction trope since like, right. the 1800s.
1: <laughs> well, here's another one we got to talk about: the Matrix.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Matrix is definitely yeah. Uh,
1: because you you don't think of, you, at first you don't think oh the Matrix the you know it's the whole you know going into the computer blah 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 and you know think about it humanity's been beaten by the robots mm-hmm. and we were basically living as human as I hate to say it human yeah, batteries, batteries to power their yeah exactly and you know there was a few outposts of humans and then Neo came around and again and again and again. And again. But it's too bad they never made any sequels about it. So
6: you know, <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's uh, yeah, almost.
6: I, I do have to agree with uh, with Mike though that the excuse of nine eleven and and turning culture itself darker, it, you know, you know, almost twenty years later, it's it's kind of flimsy at this point. Like it's harder to argue at the time uh, because that's. That seemed to be the prevailing sentiment. I mean, how many television series launched right after 9-11 that were based on hunting terrorists? I mean, that was a big thing with NCIS when it first began, and then it just turned into something else completely.
1: And then even look at 24. Yeah. You know, they actually exploded a nuclear weapon in Los Angeles in the harbor.
6: So – but yeah, but now it's just like, can, can we get away from that? And the problem is, is that the the people who made those decisions back then are still pretty much yeah. in charge now. So you're not going to get any of that. You're you're, you're not going to get um, somebody to come along and let's do the bright shining future that everybody wants us to see because everyone's just beaten down well, we're, by we're life. We're kind of getting it I with the Orville, best though. Way to say it.
2: Well, I think I mean yes and no. I mean, uh, I mean, I think the Orville is a is is something unique. Well, I don't think it actually I don't think it's quite unique because it obviously is a is a it's got Star Trek written all over it. Right, but I Does? don't think <laughs> what I you know the fact, especially the fact that they're that they had like two seasons on Fox and now they're moving it you know to a streaming service. I'm kind of thinking it's not the trend; it's the it's the exception, right? Like, um, it's the Shaun of the Dead of science it, fiction. That's being very generous, but uh, <laughs> 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 I, I mean, I see your point. Um, I just do wonder, though, and I'm like, you know, I mean, I do think that apocalyptic stories as a whole can be uh, amazing and amazingly told, but I do kind of wonder if. Um, are, are what what it would take to sort of swing back to uh, like telling stories that make people feel good. <laughs> like I, I don't know that that's, you know, or that give people hope and inspire people rather than sort of allow people to recognize the misery and sort of, you know, engage in it in some way. Right or or is it more of a cathartic experience? Hmm.
7: Because
6: I would argue that most of the the Marvel films are kind of positive, even you know, you know, Infinity War and Endgame to the kind you know to, or the kind of the outliers. That's but fair. When you really, when you really look at it, most of those, there there's kind of a rah rah you know ending where you're kind of going out on a high note whereas you know up until recently most of the DC films were the dour depressing ones
2: and that is very fair um yeah uh and and certainly it was weird for me because growing up reading the books it seemed like it was the exact opposite actually <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean, the DC I was like Super Friends, right? Whereas Marvel was like, this is like you know gritty, uh, real life stuff.
1: That's what's that's what Stan wanted. No, so. no, no.
2: Yeah. I, I'm not. I'm yeah. not knocking it. I'm just saying that it was. Uh, it seems like it's almost kind of flipped now. Uh, it has flipped. Well, I don't know if it's flipped back, but um, no, yeah. I've always felt like Warner Brothers liked dealing with crime as a whole as a company uh Warner Brothers has huge success with crime deaths and sex uh throughout their history of making movies and music and everything else that they've labeled so it doesn't kind of surprise me that they're that the Mar- that the D- DC hero movies have kind of gone that way but it's unfortunate um, and I'm glad we have things like Wonder Woman that uh uh that kind of showed the way um and hopefully that will continue with this year um all right so i don't know how to sort of wrap this up because we've kind of just been like really uh like just all over the place here but i think it's i, I think there's something to this right with um and i don't know if there's if there's trends that are right. noticeable with uh apocalyptic you know stories um you know i think we've kind of noticed that you know sort of things like um you know whether it's uh it's happening by uh, the cause of it, you know whether it's by war or, um, you know we haven't there's a lot of ones that are alien attack based, right?
1: Oh, of course mm-hmm. there are. But you also we didn't haven't even touched on video games and such. You know, getting into gaming and such because I know there's games like Borderlands. There's also um. There's also a huge series called Fallout mm-hmm. that, you know, is very much, you know, nuclear war happened. And basically, um, you know, somebody there, a lot of humanity select members were put into like hibernation to try to preserve the American way and everything. And they come out like 200 years later when land is, you know, a different place, you could say. And it's been highly successful.
2: Hmm. You know, to be honest, I have, I have no, I mean, I've heard the name mentioned, but I had no idea what the, the yeah, story behind
1: It's the pretty, was. it's really interesting. And it's cool because it takes, it first takes place in the 1950s. So it has a very 1950s feel to the game and they capture, they capture really, really well. And You know, it's just, it's a really neat series. If you ever got back into gaming, Mikey, I would highly recommend it. It's a first-person shooter game, but it's really interesting that
6: way. Let me ask a question about that, though. Does, because you're basically, it's all first person, and I know, like, you know, the Silent Hill games and such like that, you're kind of first person and you're going through these horror scenarios. Is it depressing just wandering around a post-apocalyptic world (laughs)
1: No, it's actually pretty awesome.
7: No, it's not. Um, it's it, they they throw in a lot of stuff from all different type, all different post apocalyptic movies in there, and they have a lot of humor. Uh, I remember the first Fallout game, you run into the Knights of Me <laughs> at one point. Um, yeah, that might mean the Knights who say mm-hmm. knee at one point. Still looking for their shrubbery, and also. Uh, um, yeah, there's a lot of Mad Max references. Uh, the dog's been in all, in almost every single game. I haven't played seventy six, mm-hmm. but yeah, that exactly. was the one that Kind of almost that's pretty much killed the series at the moment. But uh, yeah, but it's it's really interesting because you got an entire society that didn't really leave the fifties. They didn't develop transistors really until um, the uh, late two thousands. So everything they, they have an advanced atomic age society, but everything, for the most part was based on, uh, on vacuum tube technology, and then they, right towards the end, they developed cold fusion and transistors. and it's a combination of all this weird retro stuff that uh, it, that makes it, makes it so much more interesting than just walking around a devastated wasteland
1: yeah you 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 get to talk to people, you interact, and you still see places that are very familiar because I know in what Fallout Four bought you're in Boston, and you know because that's where that one's mostly based out of, and you go to the baseball stadium there and they set up a city inside the stadium and everything, and you have to barter with people and everything. Society's reinvented itself, but it's a it's a total base off the 1950s, which is really cool.
6: It's kind of a jump going from vacuum
7: tubes to cold fusion, though. That's uh
6: I think there would be something between that.
7: <laughs> yeah, they mainly did it. well, they mainly did it because of a constant war. They were at war with China for the longest point point, and that's what ended up happening. However, the nuclear bombs used were about the um equivalent of what was used on Hiroshima. So there was quite a number of them, so that's why there's still a lot of stuff left standing, is because of that, but then they took a bunch of a, f- a bunch of stuff out of 50s sci-fi, like giant insects and um, mutants and everything like that. You have got you still have government conspiracies going on, and ev- and everything else. Mm-hmm. Even years after everything that happened, you start. I think first time you start about 75 years after, and then the more modern games are about 200. Exactly, because they
1: had different. Uh, basically, they had different bases and they let people out at different eras and such
7: yeah i get and it turns out most of them were made for experimenting on people rather than actually saving them
6: and and i guess you would have to do that because unlike a movie where you're you're (laughs) done in like an hour and a half to two and a half three hours you know you're you're living with a game for an extended period of time especially if you're doing the side quests so i guess you would have to make it more fun because then it would be a truly depressing experience. So I I don't know why I thought it was like that, but uh, then I'm realizing you've got to, you've got to attract the gamers attention and and keep them uh, coming back for it. So.
1: Well, they keep on adding patches to the games too. So it's constant and everything. So it's, it's pretty neat to see. And, you know, I just, I loved watching William play it. And when I started playing it, that's when I realized I got motion sickness. So it was pretty cool.
2: <laughs> well, that I think is the most uh, time that we've spent talking about a video game time podcast because uh, it's not something that's usually in either one of our wheelhouses. So not, that's
1: not really, but it's it's, um, it's
2: cool. And I guess that that could be that could be another sign of the apocalypse. Um, um well look it it looks like um you know according to you know some of the very little research that I did um uh going into this um even though there was uh apoc- apocalyptic literature you know since you know since stories could be written, it seems like they really gained widespread popularity after World War two with the possibility of uh global um annihilation and and i And I still think, you know, I still see it, obviously, today, it's become something that I think we see, like, all the time now, and I don't see that that's gonna change anytime soon. So Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if to to sort of uh, close this out, because we're getting sort of towards the end of our discussion here. um, Is there anything that uh, you sort of look forward to, or um, in in an apocalyptic tale? um is is do you do you sort of like one sort of apocalypse over another um uh, i guess we'll start with with you michael to end this out oh thank you Michael. <laughs> I
6: say. Say, okay i was I, like i, yeah. I, I was I like me? I, say that. Me? Huh? I, I was like wait wait am i talking to myself uh, again? i always like to see and and i've actually put this on my bucket list of things i'm never going to do with my life is i always like to see like the one scientist nobody listens to who turns out to be right ends up kind of saving the day. Uh, I I, I just think because intellectual curiosity is so frowned upon in general society anyways, that, you know, nobody wants to listen to the smartest guy in the room, but they're usually the ones in these things that kind of pull everything out in the end, except the ones, you know, where everyone dies like the day after uh, where no one's pulling out anything uh, except maybe hair heath maybe something like that but no i i like to see i like to see kind of the the and it doesn't have to be a male scientist either it could it could be either either gender uh just the the person that kind of pulls everything together and i i think it really depends on also the mood you're in do you want to be uplifted or do you want to be depressed because that'll also really uh determine how much i want these people to be successful
2: true that's very very true yeah very well said uh eric what about you i and now i know that uh now uh is i think you mentioned that uh you know you sort of like post-apocalyptic tales um i guess in some ways that also includes uh dystopian tales although i didn't really want to go down that rabbit hole uh that much in this discussion
7: they can be dystopian but um Reason I like the post-apocalyptic literature a lot, especially when it goes more than just uh, "we're eking out survival on a wasteland," is because a lot of the stuff I read, the way the the apocalypse and the wasteland is one step. Uh, my favorite book um, is uh, the Chronicles of uh, uh, Sorry, A Canticle mm-hmm. for Leibowitz, and even though that doesn't have a happy ending either. You go from building up from a nuclear war, going to an advanced society, and then blowing it all up again. But uh, a lot of other tales, though, you see the the hope in it. Um, The Mad Max movies, for instance, Uh, you see all this stuff that's happening on the screen, but in the background, you have to remember, these are tales being told by people hundreds of years in the future who remember this guy named Mad Max when all this bad stuff happened. But they're, in the, but, but they're telling the stories in a time when everything is better, at least halfway decent again. Right. Uh, a lot of books I read, they, you, you go through uh, humanity going through um, different stages, going through all the planets, um, going to different planets and everything. And then each planet has its cycle of where it goes through and then comes out and typically comes out the other end better more technologically advanced more realizing well we're we're not going to do that again and it and it get and uh the only time it really reverts of course is when all the information gets lost and all that but which is interesting too because that's an entire different apocalypse is just losing all that information and uh having your having your entire history lost that's that those have been some interesting books i've read on that as mike, well. mike what about
1: you Oof! You know, I was sitting here thinking about it, and you know, agreed with like what both Michael and Eric had said. And it's just, it's just interesting because every generation has a different version of what's going to destroy humanity. And you know, for us it was nuclear. Um, for you know, my parents and grandparents it was financial and governments and such coming after them and it just it just all depends and then for younger people now it's terrorism or disease and it's just it's you know so much different to think about and you know that's where you get into you know, stories, you know, what happens to when government can't handle it and it shuts down and everything. It just, it's really interesting to think about. And it, sometimes real life is scarier than some of these stories we're reading. And that's what's horrible about
2: it. Well, yeah, and absolutely. And I think, I think for me, you know, I think, um, I think movies or stories that sort of, uh, are pro like because I think um, you know that we started with the day after, and I think that's a perfect example of something that was produced as a warning sign. Like, let's not do this. Let's not go here. We're trying. We're we're showing. We're we're making this to pre- like to hopefully enough people see it that this is going to prevent. You know, uh, um, people are going to think twice about you know pressing the button. You know, uh, Sting can sing all he wants to, but in like, like when we see this. Uh, on the screen it's gonna it's gonna affect some people. And and I think that uh that is actually something that um I don't know if we see enough of uh these days. Uh and then also if you're talking post apocalyptic, um, I mean that's when society's breaking down and we get to find out, you know, sort of the good stories tell us what it means to be human and what it you know what preserving humanity is all about. And I I, I do uh like those stories do something cool, like, you know, like Matrix, where it looks cool, and people like have that bullet time uh, technology, bullet time, you know, scenes or Terminator, where, you know, they have the cool uh, liquid effects, liquid metal effects, so that that always helps uh, with a p- apocalyptic story, if they introduce some really cool effect, right, an action sequence. Um, Well, that's cool, I appreciate it, uh, this has been a, a great, interesting discussion, and I appreciate all of you um, and we will be right back with the ESO Network.
7: That's great. It starts with an earth. Wait, birds and snakes, an Lenny Bruce is not I a
0: see- Hey, everybody! Michelle here with an iconic rock talk show moment. Nope, no obituaries today. Instead, uh, songs for Australia. Uh, this is an album featuring covers of by international artists of songs by Australian artists, includes tracks by Damien Rice, Dope Lemon, and others, and it's going to drop on March 12th. Uh, It was spearheaded by a singer named Julia Stone, and her cover of Midnight Oil's Beds Are Burning are on the album. The proceeds, of course, benefit organizations dealing with the bushfire crisis, including Landcare Australia, the New South Wales Rural Fire Service, and uh, several others. Um, Besides the Julia Stone song, you can check out the Nationals cover of NXS's Never Tear Us Apart and pre-order the album at songsforaustralia.com. And a street in the London neighborhood of Feltham was recently renamed in honor of a famous former resident. The accolades keep rolling in for Freddie Mercury, Uh, his sister Kashmira, and other extended family members were on hand to unveil the new sign for Freddie Mercury clothes. And, Def Leppard's London to Vegas uh, package will drop on April 24th. And this limited edition consists of, (sighs) deep breath, two Blu-rays plus four CDs, two DVDs or four CDs, DVD, Blu-ray, and two CDs, or digital format featuring... Two concert films, Hysteria at the O2, where they did the Hysteria album live at the O2 Arena in London, and Hits Vegas live at Planet Hollywood. The Vegas set has a behind-the-scenes bonus feature, and the Hysteria at the O2 has the mini-documentary Hysteria Then and Now. All of this comes, all this comes packed in a 10-inch box with a 40-page hardback book, audio from both concerts. Um, Hysteria Live, uh, will also be available separately on clear vinyl, um, two album set in a gatefold sleeve. And if you pre-order, you can get exclusive bundles that include a London to Vegas t-shirt, a London to Vegas 12 by 12 lithograph, a branded envelope with a replica set list, guitar picks, and laminates from both shows, and the exclusive four song picture disc, Acoustic in Vegas. Order now! before midnight tonight, Um, you can check all that out at DefLeppard.com. This has been the Iconic Rock Talk Show Moment. The blog is IconicRockTalkShow.wordpress.com and we will catch you next time.
5: Everyone these days could use a little support and your friends at the ESO Network are no different. With the ESO Network Patreon, the cool thing is, is when you help support us, It's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO network.
1: And now for the week of March 5th, 2020, it's the ESO network con report.
2: Come! Come! Well, March 20th through the 22nd, we have one of our favorite shows celebrating its 20th anniversary. And our good friend Martin is here to talk all about Toylanta. Welcome back to the station, Martin. All right. Hey, nice to be here again, guys. Thank 20 you. 20 years. You've been there since the beginning, right?
4: I have. I actually, you know what? To be honest with you, the very first show I didn't make. <laughs> I okay. to work. All right. So I would say from show two on, um, <laughs> you know, I, I started attending. And then from 2005 onwards, I've been pretty much running it with obviously a number of other people and been the director over the last few years. So, yeah, it's grown, as you guys know, exponentially over the yes, years. It's, absolutely.
2: Absolutely. Thing, yeah, and speaking of growing, you guys have got a new venue this year as well, right?
4: Yes, we sure do. So, we've uh, we've moved, we're moving to Marietta to the Hilton in Marietta. Now, uh, we really enjoyed being at the Marriott Century Center. I think everybody uh liked us there, but I think they also realized that we had outgrown that place quite a number of years ago, and uh, you know, we looked and looked and we found this place now. This place looks like—I mean, honestly—from the outside looking at, it, looks like the White House. I mean, it's—it's—it's it's, it's a beautiful, <laughs> yeah, it's a very impressive, uh, building. It is beautiful, very open. Um, there's a golf course on the back. The nice big, uh, lobby with a lot of lot of space. And the great thing about this—it's two floors. I mean, we're twenty-five to thirty thousand square feet. And guys, we are literally occupying the entire thing um, the fun thing this year because we've grown and because we have more access to space we've also introduced a number of new events that are happening there and so you know we're very excited about that for sure
2: absolutely well yeah let's get to it let's talk about some of those I mean obviously you're going to have the uh, traditional events that people are are used to at uh, you know from all the back in the day of Jolanta to now Toylanta, uh, but uh, let's talk about some of the uh, exciting things you've got that are new. So the so a number of uh, things
4: that we're doing that are, that's new. For instance, we have the Toy Designer Experience Room, and so that room is going to be made up of all different toy designer artists, and these are folks creating their uh, their visions of of different items. Um, in small runs, right? And I mean, I know there's probably a couple of different conventions around the country that really focus on this. Uh, We really wanted to bring it to Atlanta and give them a space there. So they're going to have a couple of different um, demonstrations in that room too. Plus, I mean, you're going to be able to see creations from many different folks from around the country that are actually some of which they're just sending to some of these folks here, but they're probably going to be about 10 different designers there in that room by itself. Um, wow. So that's going to be very exciting right there. And in the past we've had one or two folks that have, that have uh, done that, that have set up at the show. But this year we really wanted to focus on that. Um, Cause one of the things, you know, Toy Lanta has always focused on the creativity behind the toys. So it's not just the love of toys, But we really always want to celebrate that creativity. And speaking of that as well, another thing that we're doing this year, we will have a maker's room. So we're going to have a 3D printer. We'll have a variety of other things going on there, as well as demonstrations on sculpting and a variety of other things that will all be happening in that one particular room. So naturally, we're, we're excited about that. We have not really done that to that extent before. Um, we're gonna have a cosplay contest this year. We've kind of dabbled with that maybe a few years ago, but mm-hmm. I think this year we're doing it right. Uh, you, we brought in somebody who who has done this before um, on a much larger stage, so I think uh, I think we're gonna have a lot of fun with that. So so people who who want to get involved with the cosplay, please check it out on uh, on the website. Um, well, let's see what else do we have we have a console gaming room um, that's brought to us by our friends at uh, Southern Fried Game Room. They're going to be setting up a console gaming room. Very nice. And then one more room we'll have, we will have tabletop gaming as well. And so again, a whole room full of that, eight tables going the whole time. Um, All of this will be on the website. Um, Some of it is not yet on there. I don't think we have the schedule of events for the tabletop gaming yet but it will all be on there so now on top of all that we have two rooms two panel rooms one larger room and one slightly smaller one and let me tell you i mean some of the folks and the panels that we have going on this year are truly truly amazing i i really can't wait um because one of our guests and you guys may have seen it, but we, we do have Marty Abrams and Migo. I saw that, yes. Yes. Mr. Migo. So, yes, absolutely. So obviously Migo being a childhood favorite um, of a lot of ours, I'm sure. I know you guys have done a panel on Migo in the past, so I know you guys. like. A, um, true. And obviously they've, they're on the shelves now, so it would be very <laughs> interesting to... Um, to talk to Marty and they they are going to be doing actually the very first panel on Saturday. And so you, I mean, I think he's going to be kind of do it free freestyle and free flow. So people can ask him all kinds of questions and boy, you know, Migo has been around for a minute. So they, they have really done so many great toy lines. So that should be very,
2: very exciting there. Yeah, that is. I saw that, uh, you know, of course, you know, after Larry Hama, who, you know, even though he's there pretty much every year, it doesn't get old saying that Larry Hama is going to be absolutely there, right? not. Uh, I mean, it's it's I mean, he's he's a yeah, he's just an he is our guy main now.
4: guy. I yeah, mean, exactly. yeah, so,
2: yeah. <laughs> uh, I can't even imagine.
4: We love Larry Hama. Yeah.
2: <laughs> out him there. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Uh, but Marty's a great get. Uh, yes. And it, yeah. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, it looks like you've got a a quite a number of other uh, guys who have done like who have who are really behind the scenes creating toys. Yes, most
4: definitely. Yes, most definitely. Many, many uh, commercial toy designers are going to be at the show. They're going to be displaying some of the works that they've done, as well as be involved in a number of panels And um, one and, and, you know, forgive me, because there's so many amazing people that are going to be here. And I I really can't remember all of their names, but I know one that comes to mind is Tim Effler. And Tim Effler um, was uh, worked for Kenner during their their heyday. I mean, he worked on Six Million Dollar Man. He worked on Star Wars uh, and he is actually going to be doing a panel on Jurassic Park because he worked on Jurassic Park, too. Um, and actually interesting side note another one of our special guests who have been with us before Larry Selman the artist did the artwork for some of the Jurassic Park toys so I think that's kind of a nice tie-in that you know the, the the two of them are actually going to be there so that's going to be pretty pretty cool the guy that did the the Nerf Gun the Nerf air jet gun. He's gonna be there.
2: Yeah, Shane, Matthews. guy that
4: did. Yeah, Elf on the Shelf. I mean, there's really.
2: I mean, <laughs> there's I don't a know. very. You might you might need to have bodyguards for him. Yes. it's all Oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 oh and, and and another
4: another one that comes to mind. Uh, Kevin Sexton, the toy smuggler, who has actually just created the vintage style Bantha for Star Wars that was never produced. So he has just done it and it is going to go into production and he is going to be doing a panel. So I think that should be very interesting as well to understand and see how he went through the the creative process to actually, you know, get way, you know, to the final product.
2: Yeah, this is great. It's nice to see. I mean, you've always kind of had guys that are behind the scenes, but it's, it's nice to see that these artists getting recognized. I think, you know, shows like, um, like uh the netflix shows and whatever uh some of the documentaries about the toy lines and everything are really bringing these these designers to the forefront making them celebrities making them uh, just as valuable artists recognizable artists as people who do comics or anything like that right so yeah it, and they really and they that deserve that
4: i mean yes. my goodness if you think about it like these guys created these things that we're celebrating my gosh shouldn't we celebrate them too you know i mean it's yeah it's, it's crazy the guy so. that designed
2: a nerf gun come on yeah. like that's yeah. like what would we where would we be without the nerf gun right <laughs> right <laughs> uh a guy who worked on the ViewMaster, you know i mean these are toys that we are were integral to our childhood right yes so, yeah. so that's yeah. very exciting that's very exciting and of course you guys are, like i said you got the usual programming you haven't like you know still gonna have the parachute drop right well so what we're doing there so here here's the interesting
4: thing yes we are gonna have it however right. we are calling it the parachute launch because oh. uh, unlike the previous hotel that we were in there is no massive atrium with 14 floors so what we're going to actually be doing is launching joe's and other toys uh on parachutes onto the golf course with various <laughs> kind. It should, it's going to be interesting let me put it that way
2: so
4: <laughs> we have to call it launch not 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 drop because we're going to be like hauling them <laughs> But yes that 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 one uh event is 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 you know I mean I guess that's that was what Joe Lanta when we started we did that and so that will that'll it's always a, it, be a part of the show yeah, yeah. it's an
2: institution right
4: yes most uh, definitely um, and the film festival obviously we will we will still do that the film festival that's that's made up of of basically toys and people's creations of uh you know little toy movies from around around the country and around the world um we'll still have uh a great uh house band i guess we call them radio cult sure radio yeah. cult
2: of king and Ramblers, yes.
4: ukuleles attack sarsaparilla yes. the whole crew right yeah so sarsaparilla will be serenading everybody in line <laughs> on on saturday morning you know so
2: yeah it's uh it's a great atmosphere um it's a great celebration of toys uh, both past present and uh and a look at you know what's 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 going to happen in the future now which is really exciting so yes most uh, definitely and it's definitely i mean look this is for collectors sure but it's really also i mean bring the whole family cuz this is a great afternoon this is you know you come in you look at toys you have you know you can show your kids stuff that you grew up with you know, like, and they still hold up. A lot of these toys that uh, we grew up with are still, like, you know, making kids happy today, right? So, yeah, most definitely,
4: yeah. And that's uh, like, one of my, that's one of my, I guess, most favorite treasured moments from the show is seeing that is seeing families with kids and parents pointing things out like that. I mean, that and people just seeing things that they didn't know they were looking for or didn't realize. Oh my gosh. I remember that. And now yes. they're really
2: happy and they're eight years old again. And Hey man, the world is good. You know, <laughs> every, every, It happens every year and it always takes me by surprise. I never know when it's going to happen, but at some point when I'm on the exhibitor floor at some point looking around, I'll, something will catch my eye and I'll be like, man, I haven't seen one of those in 30, 40 years. You know, it's yep. like, it's, it's a great feeling too. And then it's like, Hmm, do I want to, Bring that home or, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, uh, that, exactly. then, that, then, then <laughs> that's a different conversation. But um, Well, we're excited for the the new venue. We're excited to, to for the new panels and the new guests. And we're excited because uh, we'll be participating as well. Uh, Most definitely. Uh, or Station One will be hosting a panel that we'll be recording. Uh, we're going to have a toy fight. We're going to decide uh, a tournament style. What is the best 80s uh, action figure line? So we're going to have a great panel to do that. It's going to be a lot of fun. And that's going to be on Sunday, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, uh, so come on out to Toylanta. It's in Marietta, Georgia now. Uh, it is, again, March 20th through the 22nd. Uh, tickets are still available,
4: correct? That is correct, yeah. And their tickets are available on Eventbrite. And you can obviously just go either to Eventbrite or directly to the website or on Facebook, any of those places.
2: Well, we appreciate you joining us, Martin. Uh, we are definitely looking forward to Toylanta, which is happening again, March 20th through 22nd. Uh, it is in Marietta, uh, Georgia, um, which is not that far from Atlanta. So there's no excuse. Anybody in the Atlanta area or beyond should definitely come check out Torilanta. It is one of three events that you can find me at in March, uh, believe it or not. Um, the first of which is going to be actually this weekend, March 6th through the 8th. It is Inuhele. It is a tiki event held at the Sheridan, downtown Atlanta. Um, it's going to be a great time. It's right near Trader Vic's. There's going to be music. There's going to be drinking. There's going to be there's going to be drinking. There's going to be. Did I say music? Did I say drinking? Yes. There's going to be all of that. A lot of a uh, uh, uh There's going to be mugs. There's going to be uh, panel discussions. There's going to be actually presentations on uh, tiki culture as far as decor, clothing, uh, all sorts of things. There's a great tiki community in Atlanta, and it's just getting bigger and better every year, and uh, this is a celebration of that. So I hope to see you there. Uh, also, and then, yeah, that is March again, 6th to the 8th. And then I, we've already mentioned Atlanta, which is happening the 20th, 22nd. And then the final week of March is uh, the 28th, 29th, and that is SC Comic Con. That is in Greenville, South Carolina. And uh, we are definitely uh, going to be there. Mike and I are going to be representing, uh, we'll actually have two tables. Uh, Mike will be representing the Earth Station 1 podcast as well as the ESO network. And I will be there uh, representing uh, all and Tiki Zombie, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, we might talk to each other. I don't know. We might see each other. Uh, I don't know we you'll see, but uh, it's a big show. Um, but uh, we'll definitely be participating in panels. So uh, we haven't got our panel schedule yet, but when we do, we will let you know as well as where you can find us. But uh, we haven't got our table assignments exactly yet either. So once that happens, we'll let you know where you can find us. But we hope that you'll come because it's one of our favorite shows of the year. So, um, and we hope to have robert himself uh talk all about it um hopefully in a week or so so we can uh, tell you exactly what to expect this year from se comic-con so those are the shows in march uh, that you can find us at you can find me at so if you've got a show that you want us to promote or if you want to come on and and, and rave about a event that you've been to please reach out to us because we love talking about this.
5: Welcome to A Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host, Angela, and this week, this geek girl is talking about the Star Wars High Republic series that will be coming out later this year. Lucasfilms will be releasing a new publishing campaign for Star Wars later this year called The High Republic. I am really excited about this, since the Star Wars novels were always some of my favorite books growing up. This series is supposed to be set 200 years before The Phantom Menace, and... We'll totally have new Jedi, smugglers, and bounty hunter stories to go along with it. The books, and possibly comics, will have new adventures with these characters, which will be for children. They'll have YA stories and adult stories. So they're making it to be super inclusive for these books coming out. The artwork for the books and the covers so far looks really really awesome. And I guess they've also gone as far as having a lot of the classic Star Wars storyboard artists come in and do some character designs as well. As of right now, these series will not overlap with the already planned TV shows and movies. So this gives the authors and the other creators a lot of freedom to create some really great stories without stepping on any toes Or having to have specific guidelines that they would if they were creating within the Rebels, Clone Wars, and Mandalorian like franchises. So I am really pumped because basically we're going to be getting some Knights of the Old Republic style stories. Along with bounty hunters and Outer Rim stories of Jedi who have their adventures far away from the cities. So much to explore within this part of the Star Wars universe that we really lost a lot of when they took away the expanded universe from what star Wars is now. Well, thanks for listening to a geek girls take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out.
1: So that's going to wrap up another episode of the air station one podcast. I want to thank our guests for joining us. Eric, thank you so much, sir.
7: You're welcome. Glad to be here as always. Anything
1: you want to promote?
7: The uh, Face the Music podcast. Uh, Everywhere podcasts are available. It's a song-by-song podcast of ELO. I do that along with uh, my co-host, Eric Paul Johnson. And uh, that comes out every Saturday at midnight. Um, also, you can uh, type my name in Flickr to see my photography projects. And uh, every Sunday, 12 p.m. Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, it is Vinyl casserole and MaxRadio.ca.
1: Excellent. Thank you, as always, sir. Thank you, sir. And Mr. Michael Bailey.
6: Uh, pleasure, as always. I appreciate you all asking me to be on this one.
1: Anything you want to shout out about, sir? Uh,
6: Fortress of bailey Podcasting Network. Uh, which is just a place where I do put all the podcasts. A network implies that like I have like this team of people around me. Uh, apparently, I have dogs barking in the background, but that's pretty much normal here. Uh, but I talk about comics, uh, Superman, Batman mostly, and every Tuesday night at ten thirty Eastern time, uh, that would be seven thirty Pacific. Uh, Steve Eunice and I of the Superman homepage do WGBS Live, where I actually get on camera and do stuff, which makes me uncomfortable. But, you know, slowly getting used to it. So, but yeah, just uh, Fortress of
1: That is awesome, sir. And, of course, we'll see you soon. Yes. With uh, at Dragon Con. Mm-hmm. And many others, I'm sure. So, of course, Mr. Mike Gordon, we've made it to another one.
2: We did, and as always, it's my pleasure.
1: Anything you're going to shout out about, sir? Uh,
2: I do. Um, I got to sit down once again with uh, our, one of our uh, movie crew, of course, Ashley Halls, who's still uh, going west and talking about westerns. Uh, and this time, uh, we sat down and talked about Young Guns and recorded that discussion. Um, that is available only to ESO network patrons and that that's uh, released this week. So as you're listening to this and if you look it, it's for all patrons. So it doesn't matter how much you, uh, you know, want to, want to donate in our, in our cause uh, you will get access to all of the uh, episodes that uh, Ashley and I have done as well as many, 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 much, much more uh, material that we've released as well. So, more and more coming I thank your way. All the people who have done so already. Yeah, I've I thank all the people who have supported us already, and uh, it's a lot of fun. And and uh, we've still got a few more that uh, we're going to be recording as well. So I'm, um, it's always fun to talk to her.
1: Oh, Ashley's always great, and it's always nice to be able to talk with her and open her eyes to new adventures. You know, you know. So you know, those millennials, you got to do it somehow. So it's a good thing. Of course. Of course, I'm going to do a quick shout out. Pretty major loss we had today. Um, We lost James Lipton today. Um, For those who don't know, James Lipton for many, many years was a host of Inside the Actor's Studio, an amazing show that was on PBS. And he was one of the best interviewers ever. He would sit there with his box of index cards and question celebrities and different actors from Broadway, from movies, from television, all the way across the board. And he was just amazing. I never even realized he was 93 years old. He, he was ageless to me. And, um, our segment, the geek seat actually was based off of, uh, inside the actor's studio and it, he just always meant a, mu- a ton to both of us on the show, and he'll be missed. So just wanted to drop it like that. We definitely would love to hear from you guys at home, of course. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com, and check out the new Earth Station 1 website, where now we do have our upcoming schedule posted. So if you want to talk about something, if you want to be on one of our shows, check it up. All you have to do is go to earthstation com. Check it out. It's definitely worth it. We're actually scheduled already through September. So, (laughs) folks, you know, definitely check it out. So we will see you again next week. My name is Mike Faber. On behalf of myself, Mr. Mike Gordon, we'll see you here next time on the Air Station One podcast. Peace. And we are done. Boom. Boom. You've been listening to the Air Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Our Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our Tee Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. You become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One Podcast. Peace, and we're done